0: Over the last several months, um, we have been going over the Romans Road. Um, Before I do get into that, though, there is a children's bulletin, if anybody likes notes and likes following along. We've also added a notes section in your bulletin itself with some lines if you like to take notes. We have clipboards in the back if you need a hard service, and we also have crayons as well if you like to color, so, you know, Uh, but we do have a kid's bulletin as well. I just like to remind people of that just in case they ever want to take an opportunity to use that. Now, over the last couple of months, we have been going over the Romans Road, one Romans Road a piece at a time. We began with Romans three ten, says, "As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one." Ooh, good job! He knows it. All right, can you read it? You can read it. Oh, you can read it. <laughs> should probably, you know, pay attention to that too. Good job. He's observant. Okay. And then also we have Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have Romans 5.8, says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, over the last month, month and a half, we have been memorizing Romans 6.23, now, if I just put up two words for the, if I just put up the first two words, for the, can anybody complete this one? Can, but you can butcher it. Brandon's going to try to butcher it. No, no. No, no. <laughs> can, can you do it? Christ Jesus, our Lord. Good job. Good job, Brandon. Good job, Brandon. Congratulations. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As of next month, we're going to be moving on to Romans ten nine and 10, which is the final part of this. And then actually, I'll probably end up working us back through it again at one point just to kind of keep it fresh. And so we're going to continue going through that. Now, over the last several weeks, during the Christmas season, we have been looking at the individuals that God used through the Christmas story. We've been looking at these different events. We've looked at, uh, we've looked at Mary's birth announcement uh, by the angel. We looked at uh, Zacharias' uh, birth announcement by the angel as well. Uh, We looked at Mary and Joseph, Uh, we looked at the shepherds, we looked at Anna, and we looked at um, Simeon, there you go, Uh, and we talked about every single one of these different people, and we talked about the people who searched for the King of Kings. Now before we get into this week's sermon too far, I want everyone to know that a part of my job as pastor, I feel, is to teach at a level that I feel like everybody here will understand, at least at some point. I actually really enjoy breaking down complicated things and making them simple it 's a lot of fun for me it 's not always easy but it 's a lot of fun kind of I was once told that if you can break it down to a sixth grade level you was fourth grade fourth grade level you can actually uh, anybody can understand it and you actually really know your material now um, when i um, today 's content is going to be deeper than normal today 's is going to be a lot in fact, actually, this is probably Something that if you actually started studying, it could take you years to fully wrap your head around. But I thought that this would be a fun way to close out this season. And we're going to do almost like a sampler package. Uh, When I lived in Ohio, I did a... um an internship at uh, Skyview Ranch in Millersburg, Ohio. Millersburg, Ohio is Amish country and it is tourist country up the wazoo. I mean, its they've got tourist destinations everywhere. One of the tourist destinations is a place called Heine's Cheese. Yes, it's called Heine's Cheese. If you go into Heine's Cheese, you will find a uh, small room that's about the size of a half basketball court full of sampler cheese. They've got over 50 different things of cheese that you can sample. Cut up into these little quarter inch cubes and you can go around with your toothpaste big and you can take them. But it takes time. You can't just sit there and eat it all in one day. You kind of have to go back and you have to enjoy it because by the time you get through the first 20 or so, you, everything starts tasting the same. Uh, and so you kind of have to go back time and time again. And today is one of those days where we're going to start looking at something and I'm going to come back to it at a later time because it's just so much. And I don't want to overwhelm you too much. Now, have you ever noticed that your Bible, if you look at your English Bible, that there is two different spellings for Lord? There is Lord with lowercase caps of O-R-D and then Lord with just a capital L and then an O-R-D. Now, Lord, uh, originally with all caps there, is actually when it was penned, was originally penned as Yahweh. Um, We actually have, our Bibles are, are simplified So that we actually don't get confused by the different names of God. But if you go back into the original text, the reason why these are spelled differently is because it actually points to different names. Now, Lord, all caps, like I said, was originally Yahweh. It means the self-existent one. So whenever you find Lord spelled with all caps in your Bible, you're going to find and you know that it's actually Yahweh. Now, we, in our language, we actually added the vowels. Originally, it had no vowels. It was all consonants. So we've actually added that one. Now, like I said, it means self-existent one. It's an attribute of God. And we know that is why in Exodus 3.14, this is why God says, I am that I am. I am the one that exists all by my own power. Now, the other spelling of Lord that you run across most times is just a uppercase L uh, and then a a lowercase O-R-D means Adonai. It means master. Now, in many ways, it's the authority of God, but we translate it master. Now, that is just a very brief, very, very brief, very simple overview of the names of God. In fact, in the Bible, throughout the entirety of the Bible, you will find that there are over 20 very commonly used names of God. Uh, that the Jewish people were referred to, and then many more that are smaller names. And they're all talking about characteristics so that we can better understand God. And we talk about Him in these different ways. Now, like I said, we simplify this in our Bibles as just Lord and Lord, and it's differentiated by the way it's capitalized or not capitalized, so that we don't think, so someone doesn't just look at our Bibles and think that we serve a pantheon of gods. We serve one Lord. We don't serve many, and that's the reason why that's been simplified. It makes it easier to approach the Bible and to start reading and understanding it right from the beginning. He gets his names from the many things that he does and the many things that he is, from his qualities or characteristics. They are descriptions of the depth of who he is. Now, in the grand scheme of things, he wants to have a personal relationship with us. He wants to know us on a personal level, and today's sermon is going to be called Name of names. Name of names. We are going to be talking about different names. And like I said, this one is going to go a little bit deep. During the Christmas season, we took a look at a few of uh, Jesus' names. uh, But really, we kind of ended up spending most of the time talking about other people. And today, I want to actually spend a lot of time looking at Jesus himself and who he is. Now, one of the names that we have recently talked about is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Does anybody happen to know... Uh, what this means. Does anybody know? Yes, ma'am. First hand. God with us. Close. Very close. It is. No, no you're right on. It's God. <laughs> <laughs> Just question. Just a trick question. No, it is. It, it's God with us. Good job. <laughs> I try to get you guys thinking, wait, did I say something wrong? No, you're absolutely correct. Good job. Uh, Emmanuel means God with us. If you pay attention to any of the Christmas plays, it means God with us. God came down to be with us. Humanity. We are so weak and so frail. And you think about the prayer requests and just the way that our bodies are and the way they get so easily damaged. But he still came down. And it actually fulfills a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7. And that's where we're going to start our journey today. We were going to be in many places today. But we are going to start out in Isaiah chapter 7. I'll give you just a second. It's Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. This is what it says. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel makes you think there for a second wait a second Mary was told to call him Jesus what does that mean well this is a characteristic of him he will be God with us we call his name Jesus that's his actual name but we actually are introduced here to the way that we call him by his characteristics or his qualities Isaiah actually gives us many names and qualities of Jesus. In fact, we're going to be stepping uh, in, into Isaiah chapter 9, just two chapters ahead, and we're going to be finding out more of those. If you actually turn just two chapters ahead to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, this is where we are going to have our launch pad for today. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read these two verses. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So, Isaiah has introduced to us very interesting naming, and we're actually going to be looking at these names and what they mean to us. Those are found in uh, verse 6, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Part of understanding these names is actually coming to know that what Isaiah was writing about, when he was writing about, and who he was writing it to. If you understand the context of Isaiah's writing, you understand these names a little bit better. Isaiah wrote at a time when the nation was falling away from God. They were stopping the worship of the one true God and they were starting to worship themselves and their own works of their own hands. They were starting to worship their wealth and the things that they were doing. They were starting to worship idols. They were losing their heritage. And Isaiah was writing to remind them that God has made a promise. Yes, this promise, they didn't know it, but the promise would still be another 800 years before it was fulfilled. But Isaiah says, God has promised something and it will come to pass. So don't give up hope and don't turn away. He will come through. So Isaiah starts off and he says, wonderful counselor. Now this is actually two names and we're going to be looking at it as such. He's speaking of the kind of king that Jesus would become. The word wonderful here actually means hard to understand. It's got uh, an above-our-understanding kind of idea or maybe boggling the mind. It's got that idea that boggles your mind. Isaiah was trying to get the point across that the coming king would be so amazing that it would blow your mind. Now, why would he get that idea? Well, number one, he would be born of a virgin. That's something new. Nobody had ever been born of a virgin. That comes from Luke chapter 2. Jesus was born of a virgin and this is just the start of his time on earth. Now I'm not going to turn to this passage as this particular one is something that we've recently gone over and we've looked at in great detail. How about something else? He could heal everything. Jesus came and he could heal absolutely everything. And his ability to heal everything. Let's turn over to Matthew four twenty-three. We're actually going to be looking at a lot of passages today. I hope your fingers can keep up. Matthew chapter four, verse twenty-three. I'll give you just a second. Why is this person wonderful? This is what it says in Matthew four twenty-three. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So he could heal everything. And if that wasn't wonderful enough, if that wasn't wonderful enough, he could also become the greatest teacher. Jesus was the greatest teacher. If you choose to turn over to the next book, it's Mark. Mark, verse 122. Mark, verse 122. It's the next book, first chapter. I can hear pages turning. Today we've got a lot of text that we're going to be covering. I'm going to be kind of pointing you to these different things because they're so amazing to learn about Jesus. Mark one twenty two says, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. He taught with authority. He was the great teacher. Nothing passed his understanding. Nothing was tossed to him that he didn't know and not have a question or an answer to. He knew how to teach everything. He would be one of the smartest, the smartest person to ever walk the earth, he would be the great teacher, and not only that, he would be the only human to ever live a perfect life. A perfect life, he lived a perfect life, and that he was without sin. Now, that actually comes from Hebrews chapter four, verse fifteen. I can read you that one, so I can give you a break for just a second. Hebrews four fifteen says, "For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, sympathize with our weakness, but he was in all points." tempted, as we are, yet without sin. He lived a perfect and sinless life. Jesus was without sin. Now, as the old late night television guy would say, as he was trying to sell you those wonderful knives that could do just about everything, he would say, wait, there is more. There is still more to come. If that wasn't enough to imagine this king who already possessed all of these qualities, the coming king who would possess all of these qualities when it didn't seem possible that he could do more not only would he die for his people, but also he would be resurrected. He would be resurrected from the dead. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you continue in Mark all the way down, since we're already sitting in Mark still, you should go close to the end of Mark, verse uh, chapter 16, sorry. All the way to the end, Mark 16, and we're going to go to verse 6. says, but it said to them, but he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? So all of this so far, everything, he was born of a virgin. He could heal absolutely everything. He's the greatest teacher ever. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And he was resurrected. And we're just still on wonderful. I haven't even actually started talking yet about counselor. He is indeed a wonderful savior. So the next word Isaiah actually goes into is one that we've had on the screen. It's counselor. We're actually going to go over counselor now. Now, counselor, in our day and age, when we see counselor, we think uh, summer camp guy. Okay, so you go to summer camp, you go into a cab, and you have a counselor. Or maybe you think of somebody that needs psychiatric help, and you go and you see a counselor. You need a counselor, man. Or maybe you think of someone that fixes marriages. Okay, you two need counseling. That's actually not what the verse is talking about here when it says counselor. We tend to think of it in our terms, but we need to think about it in Isaiah's terms. In his context, in his day, the counselor is actually a king. The king is referred to as the counselor. Specifically, it's a wise king. So when you think of a wise king in the Old Testament, who comes to mind? I heard it, I heard it somewhere, Solomon, Solomon, King Solomon. Okay, so do you know what is said of King Solomon? says this in 1 Kings four thirty four, And men of all nations, from all the kings of the earth, who had heard of his wisdom, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So Solomon was a very, very smart man. What is also said of him in the book of Micah, the book of Micah, it says, Now why do you cry aloud, talking to the nation? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? This is actually doubling up. This is talking of the king. For pains have seen you like a woman in labor. The Old Testament people would recognize the name counselor, not in the way that we look at it, but rather as a king. They would say the king is the counselor. Now, with that said, the next one that we go to is Mighty God. The next thing that he talks about is Mighty God. Now, of all the names in this list, this one's probably the most easy to understand, Mighty God is very straightforward. It would remind him that he is a Savior who is God and that he is mighty. No one would be stronger than him. Nobody is stronger than our Savior. This name actually finds its roots given to God the Father. It's translated mighty throughout the Old Testament to describe mighty God as Warriors or champions or strong and valiant men. This is what they use when they are saying, oh, that guy is mighty. You'll hear this again and again in the Old Testament. When a champion of right is coming, the one who is coming, Isaiah is talking about, he's saying the guy that's going to be coming, the Messiah, is going to be so strong, no one's going to be able to beat him. He will be the most valiant warrior for his people that you have ever seen. No one can oppose him, and he is God himself. This is what Isaiah is getting at. Now, he also says, everlasting father. He says, everlasting father. Now, at first glance, this one's going to seem a little bit odd. We are talking about the son, Jesus Christ, the son. We're not talking about God, the father. So why does he say everlasting father when he's talking about Jesus? This one seems off at first. But, In this apparent oddity, he's actually making a stab at the Trinity itself. So first off, he's actually making a stab at the Trinity, saying that there's more than one person to the Godhead. But also, there's something else that he's talking about. Now, earlier, I talked about how our Bibles uh, switch up some words to make it easier for us to understand. I said, you know, we do Lord with the lowercase caps, and then we do Lord with just lowercase. Now, partly in an effort to understand that our God is not one, and he's not many, uh, he is one, he's not many. Everlasting Father actually translates fairly easily into Father of Eternity, which is another way of saying Everlasting Father. So I'm just kind of going back and forth. Meaning that the Messiah who had not yet been born was actually the creator of the world. This is saying that this person is the creator of the world. Now if we turn to the book of John, John chapter 1, I'll pop that one up on screen for you. It says this, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Maybe familiar verses. Now Isaiah was predicting what we now know in hindsight, that the Messiah, Jesus, would not only be too wonderful to fully comprehend, not only be an incredibly wise ruler, but he would also be the creator of everything and that he would be above and without time. Now about the term father, let's talk about that one. This one can be a little bit confusing. Like I said, we're talking about the Son of Man. He calls himself the Son of Man. Why would Isaiah say the term father? In our nation, we talk about certain people, and we call them founding fathers. They are not our biological fathers. We call them founding fathers. Why? Because they started something. The term here is being used in the same way. Jesus Christ created the world. He started the world. He started an entire following after him. We call that now Christianity. He's got his people. He is using the term father here as the one who is the originator or the starter of something. Not necessarily that he also is father. Does that make sense? I was hoping to, kind of, to make that one a little bit easier to understand. Jesus was there at the foundation, the formation of the world. Nothing was made without him that was made. In this passage, it shows that the nation, they're not just looking for some man to become king. As Isaiah's working his words through, he's showing that it is actually the creator himself who is going to step down and become their king, who is the one that will become their Messiah. Now, we may take this for granted because it's information we have heard before. We might just pass this off as something that doesn't really apply to us. But think about it for a moment. Think about the history you were taught about the leaders in the past. When we're talking about leadership. When you think of a leader, a leader has the ability to to bring a people up or to bring them down. You can think of some historically horrible leadership like Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime. Or you could think of like Kim Sung Uh, the supreme leader of North Korea in the first half of the 19th century and the atrocities that were committed underneath him. Leaders can drag a nation down horribly, or they can bring it up. And what Isaiah is saying is this leader, this leader will be so grand. He will do so many great things that you can't even imagine how wonderful he is. He's saying that what we as Christians will eventually experience is Jesus Christ's leadership. He's saying there is no comparing anyone else to this man. He will eventually come back and take his rightful place as leader, and what a day that one will be. Now, this brings us to the last name on the list, and that is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Now, it's appropriate that peace is the final name. Our world is filled with violence. Uh... I don't think anyone would deny that. We are ransacked by news stories of atrocities. Um, we seem to, they, they seem to grow in frequency and even in violence themselves. It's difficult to understand how Jesus could come into the world and all of a sudden bring peace. Or even sometimes to imagine how he has brought peace throughout eternity past and through the ages. Now he's worked that in. When our family goes on a long trip, maybe yours does the same, we pray for safety in our travels. We say, Lord, you know, protect us as we're traveling. So we ask for his, his peace and we look for security. We long to be comforted in knowing that all is going to be well. Now the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Shalom. Now you may have heard this one before. The peace that Jesus brings actually isn't always physical safety. And I think that the record of the lives that are lost by pursuing God and lived for God that you hold in your hands would be a testimony to that. Jesus isn't talking about bringing physical safety. People who followed God a lot of times died. And we've got a very clear record of that. Now, the peace Jesus also brings is not political peace. He's not going to solve all of the political problems. That's not what he is designed His peace to be. Why, we'll pray for political peace and structure. That's not what he says. In fact, he seems to recognize that when we heard the word peace, that we would misunderstand what he meant. Now, if you'll check out John chapter 14, if you still have your Bible place, you should still be in Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, if you've kept your place. And we're going to move over from John 14, verse 27. This is what Jesus says he says peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give you so let your heart not be troubled neither let it be afraid peace not the world's peace what is Jesus talking about what is he getting at here in this passage clearly the peace that he speaks of is something that he alone seems to be able to give something else Clearly, the piece that he spoke of would be confused because he shows us in the verse, he's like, you guys aren't going to understand this. I'm going to give you something that you don't get. It means that he was giving something that the world can't promise. He's giving something new. So what could it be? Well, when we approach a problem, no matter what aspect of life it is, we have to recognize the symptoms to understand that there's a problem. Then we actually fix the problem. After we realize the symptoms, then we fix the problem. Now, we have to get to an underlying issue. The Bible actually tells us what the underlying issue is for the peace that he's coming to fix. problem is most people don't like the answer. However, have you ever been to a doctor to receive a report that you don't agree with, and then you go and you get a second opinion because you don't agree with the doctor's report? Anybody here have a friend or maybe know of somebody that uh, their second opinion was Google? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Google sometimes is the second opinion <laughs> I don't like that answer Doctor's a moron okay, um, We go and we search for different opinions When we don't like the physician answer We tend to go find another that suits our line of thought And what we're thinking Now there's an old quote that I love That unfortunately is very true And it says this It says that most people don't want the truth They just want constant reassurance that what they believe is the truth. Most people don't want the truth. They just want constant reassurance of what they believe is the truth. Now, this isn't true in every circumstance, but as a general, it holds up. We tend to get our news from sources that we agree with. We tend to talk to people who share our viewpoints. Uh, We find other things like... um, We find people who validate us to be able to talk to because we like being validated. The Bible tells us that ultimately we can't find the peace that we are looking for because fundamentally we are flawed. It is a flaw that can't be fixed without the direct intervention of God himself. It's a peace that can never be found unless it is found directly through Jesus and his work on the cross. Now, what Jesus provides is more than just eternal peace. It also allows us to have a relationship with God. Specifically, it allows us to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit as well. Now, since we're looking at names today, it's going to make sense then to look at the entire Trinity. We've looked at God the Father, we've looked at Jesus, and now I'd like to show you a little bit about the Holy Spirit as we're continuing forward. Does anybody know that there are two main names that are used for the Holy Spirit? Does anybody know the two main names that are used for the Holy Spirit? Holy Ghost, but what is he called outside of spirit or ghost? Jesus calls him what? I will send you the comforter. It's used as comforter or helper. Now, we get these names from Jesus' own words, and he's going to do that in John fourteen twenty six, which is actually a verse back from where we just were. So John fourteen twenty six it says this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, from whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. The word helper here is also translated comforter, depending on which version of the Bible you have. The Holy Spirit is not just sent to console us, but he's been sent to teach us. He's here to teach us, to guide us, direct us. Jesus has the Holy Spirit sent to you and I after accepting him as Savior to help us. And he's helping us do the impossible. The Holy Spirit has been sent to help us live a sinless lifestyle in a sin-obsessed body. That's the whole point of the Holy Spirit, is to help us to actually start living a sinless lifestyle in a sin-obsessed body. So our relationship then with the Holy Spirit becomes absolutely critical to our success in this area. It's through the Spirit that we can finally understand peace and that Jesus is the one who made this possible, heralding in this never-before-achievement, and then he becomes the Prince of Peace. He brings peace in our own lives in a way that we could have never understood without the Holy Spirit coming in. Now, today we have covered a lot of material, okay? So we looked at the beginning. We looked at Lord and Lord. So when you look at your Bible and you see the name Lord, that's all caps, you can see that it's Yahweh. The self-existent one. Now, when we look at the Lord, Lord, um, we can see that he is in self-existence. He willed everything to be created. There is no one like him. He has always been and will always be. See, we are created and he was not. We also looked at when it says the term Lord in lowercase, O-R-D, the original writer was saying Adonai. He was saying Adonai, or speaking of God's ownership and power over all creation, he called him master. Which should make you want to relook at the New Testament when it talks about the master and slave relationship. Because if the Bible calls the Lord master, originally translates master, when it starts talking about a master and slave relationship and Paul says, I am a slave of Christ uh, in Romans chapter 6 and 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that changes our view of that entire dialogue. Today, we also spend most of our efforts looking at the Messiah from Isaiah chapter 9. We saw that wonderful basically means boggles the mind because the coming messiah would boggle the mind you'd be too great to comprehend too wonderful to know and understand from his virgin birth to his resurrection everything about his life points to his divine nature we just saw a counselor when we were using it it's addressed to kings not the way that we always look at it but the way that they looked at it not that he would just give good Advice. He wouldn't just be, oh, yeah, hey, Jesus, I need some advice. He'd be a perfect ruler. He would know exactly how to rule his nation and those who followed him perfectly. We saw mighty God, as it refers to Jesus as a champion. He would conquer things. Uh, Let's see, what did he conquer? Who conquered sin? Jesus. Who conquered death? Jesus. Who's coming again to set the captive free? Jesus. Jesus is a conqueror. He is the one who is the great hero. We looked at Everlasting Father, the one who created the world and he set it into motion. He's called the Prince of Peace as his work on the cross finally allowed us to have peace. A peace that we only need to believe in him and follow him to have. He was sending the Comforter, the one who would be with us and enable us to do the impossible things that he was trying to help us do. There are many other names that we did not cover today. Like I said, uh, the God the Father has 20 regular names in the Old Testament Bible that are actually used and there are many others as well. And this is a deep study and there is a lot and I just wanted to breeze over. Because we've been talking about this baby that was coming to our world. We were talking about this baby who said of many things that he would bring and then he has brought these many new things. And understanding these names helps us understand who he is at his base character. You get to know Jesus more by studying the names because these are the qualities and characteristics of who he is. Now, I want to turn to one final passage to close this entire thing out, the reason why we're talking about names today. It's in Matthew chapter 16. This is the final passage we're going to look at today, and I'll leave you with a closing statement. And it's going to be a fairly strong question because I want to ask you something very specific. Matthew chapter 16. Last passage. Matthew 16, we're going to read 13 through 15. Uh, 13, here we go. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? The Son of Man? So they said, who I, the Son of Man, am. So they said, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Now, Jesus asked his disciple who other people were saying that he was. The answers are all a whole bunch of different various, maybe slightly important religious names. He gets a bunch of different things. Then he responds to this, and he says this to his disciples. He said, what about you? And he turns this to a personal question. Who do you say that I am? Today we have been looking at the names of God. And I think that this question is very appropriate to ask each one of us today. Who do you say that Jesus is? What name have you given him? Ask yourself, do I primarily use Jesus' name as a swear? Do you refer to him as some dead guy who lived a long time ago and had some interesting things to say? Or is he something more to you? Is he the living God who came to save and rescue sinners? Is he the one that conquered the grave for you so that he could have a relationship restored with you? Choose wisely the name you choose to use for Jesus. We've looked at a lot of names, but the question I want to leave you with is the same one that he asked. Who do you say he is in your life? It makes all the difference, and it will change your entire world depending on what name you choose to use. I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, Father, I do thank you so much for the opportunity just to glance into your word and see the amazing, amazing things that you want to bring to our lives. You are indeed wonderful. You are beyond comprehension. You, You know how to lead us in ways that we could never know. You are our mighty God and no one is stronger than you. You are the everlasting Father. You started the world and yet you stepped into it for us. You are the peace that passes all understanding. When the world is going sideways, somehow you bring this calm that I don't even know how to express. So Father, help each and every single one of us look at your Son today with a new light and to know who he is, truly know who he is, and say thank you, Lord, for the many things you've done and who you are to me. In Jesus' name, I ask these things, amen.